Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. Bit of a different podcast as we come up to round four, some uh, interesting locations, number least. Uh, from my end, I am doing this from a hospital bed. Uh, more on that shortly, but uh, a very big hello first off to my footyology co-host. Of course, we do this for ESPN every week. My footyology co-host, none other than the salubrious Mr. Rodney Rocket E. How are you, Rocket? Hello, Rowan. Don't know about salubrious, but uh, <laughs> it's good to see that you look fit and healthy anyway, being in hospital. So, uh, typical courageous East Melbourne Chadston man, be able to get out <laughs> yourself out of the deathbed. So very good. Oh, yeah. The wilds of East Melbourne, we're known for our uh, courage. Uh, for anyone, <laughs> for anyone who gives us stuff, and I'm not presuming that's anyone really. But uh, uh, I've had a, a interesting couple of days. A little bit of a uh, a brain bleed, which uh, uh, I've had checked out. At uh, I'm still in the Alfred Hospital. In all seriousness, um, a good chance once again to pay tribute to our healthcare workers because every time you come into contact with the hospital system, you realise what an incredible job they do. So big shout out to everyone at the Alfred and indeed anyone who works in the hospital or the medical system across this country. You do a phenomenal job. You are truly the heroes of this country, not footballers <laughs> and uh, certainly not people who sit here crapping on about football. Uh, we're here to preview a big round four and a uh, bit of news to uh, talk about, a bit of football-orientated news to have a chat about. So uh, let's waste no more time, no more self-indulgence. Let's get straight into it. On Footyology Newsfeed. All right, I thought we'd start, Rocket, by having a chat about uh, the centre bounce in AFL because uh, it's been noticed by a number of people that uh, I think our umpire's ability to perform a centre bounce is on the wane. There's been well, we don't have the numbers, but it just appears anecdotally anyway, and certainly by my observations, we've had way too many recalled centre bounces this year, and it uh, it wastes time. Um, and to be honest, I'm as uh, staunch a traditionalist as anyone, but uh, for me, it's just a tradition that isn't that important. And uh, I remember we were talking about this when Andrew Demetrio was boss of the AFL and he was very keen on, on retaining it. But uh, to me, it's something that, you know, apart from that slow motion footage of the ball being bounced at the start of every grand final, I don't think anyone ever gives it a second thought. It would be fairer to throw it up. We'd save time. Um, and it's a skill that, really doesn't correlate much to the other skills required for umpiring. And I just think uh, uh, it's a bit of an anachronism. We'd be better off without it. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I'm a bit like you. I've always been a traditionalist and uh, uh, thought, keep the bounce. I don't know for whatever reason I thought that, but um, but I, I think you're right. I don't think it serves any great purpose. Uh, can go anywhere. Uh, you actually notice it more when they have a bad bounce and they've got to recall it. Um, the other thing is which I think is a really valid point, is that um, that we're losing quite a few umpires because they haven't got the skill to do that. And they don't have to do it a lot during a game. But um, uh, And I think 
trying to recruit umpires, it's probably one of the barriers that's probably stopping some guys to be able to be umpire and keep them and retain them. So I think it's just better to throw it up. Uh, as you said, it's it's uh, it's an even throw, uh, makes the game even. Uh, and we don't have to recall, so we don't have to stop start. Let's call it back, especially if you've got... If it's a big game on TV where there's 90,000 people and everybody's watching it and all of a sudden, oh, and a goal has just been kicked, game's tight, oh, I've got to throw it back up again. Like, no, nah, I think I think we get rid of it. Um, I don't think it'll be missed. Um, and and obviously, the, my main point is for the umpires that we can recruit more umpires. Yeah, no, that's got to be the bottom line, doesn't it? I mean, uh, Derek Humphrey-Smith, I remember one example of an umpire who, had very good decision-making, uh, was very highly regarded, but he ended up sort of being drummed out of it because he wasn't a great bouncer of the footy. What annoys me about this one is I, I actually um, broke this story, uh, Rocket, yeah. as a, you know, one of the few occasions I've been a newsbreaker, but I, I wrote this back in 2017 when the umpires first started pushing for it to be abolished. And I remember being told then there was two or three umpires who were laid up for like whole seasons because they'd had to have shoulder reconstruction because of the bounce. People go, oh, come on, bouncing the footy. But it's, it's quite a physical action. And the number of times they were practicing and whatever to get it right, it took it, it, it caused wear and tear to the point where they had to have shoulder surgery and um, they, they weren't able to, uh, to do, perform their, their jobs properly. And as you say, I mean, the main thing with umpiring is being able to make the various, and there's so many more decisions you have to make during a game now. This skill, which is sort of superfluous to that capacity, is irrelevant. The, the other point here, and people might be wondering, well, why, why aren't they bouncing it as well now? Well, there's an obvious reason for me, and that is, and people forget this, that umpires used to bounce the footy around, at around the ground. Around the ground, yeah. And they were dispensed with, I looked this up because it was, I couldn't quite remember, they were dispensed with at the end of 2012. So for 10 seasons now, up until now, um, umpires have only been bouncing the footy probably, oh, what, 20 to 30 times a game yes. after every goal and the start of every quarter. If you have an average, what, say, I don't know. 12, 15 goals. Yeah, probably, probably close to 30, 30 max, yeah. Exactly. 30 times. So, as as opposed to before that, when it was yeah. at least double that number. And and if you if it's thirty times, it's not necessarily the one umpire that's going to, to do it either. So so it's so it's only two of them. One of them is not great at it. So it's only fifteen times, and you're practicing so much. I I don't think really you talk about efficiency and you talk about importance. That's a low priority. And yeah. it's, the main priority is getting your decision making right. If you've got a good umpire who can make good decisions, that's what we need. And the volume of umpires to have to have young people come through or retain umpires, I think they're the most two of the two most important ob- objectives with it. Um, so if the bouncers are relevant to that or are holding that back, I think we're just moving on. Final point on this: uh, people talk about it being a great tradition. I've literally never heard anyone after a game talking about, "Oh, did you see that fantastic set of bounce by?" Umpires. Only one person, and he will miss it, is Brian Taylor. Oh, really? Some some reason in his commentary, isn't that a great bounce? I thought, Brian, you've got to have a bit more more in your repertoire to talk about footy rather than the bounce of the ball. Bouncing so high. Wowee. 
<laughs> boy, oh boy. Um, no, I, I, I don't think it's uh, really something that's going to be missed. In fact, on wet days, uh, they'll just throw it up anyway instead of bouncing it. Yeah, exactly. No exactly. one even noticed it. No, that's right. It's it's not a priority. So All right, move it enough on. on that. Let's not make too much of a priority of it ourselves. All right, again, another one on uh, umpire and umpiring, but um, I guess uh, descent brought into the, uh, the the eye after the controversial free kick paid against uh, GWS's Stephen Camelio uh, for daring to put his arms out uh, after a non-holding the ball against Carlton. Carlton being given a free kick from the top of the goal square, crucial time in the game. Uh, arguably even cost them the game. And uh, a sort of uh, weird statement put out by um, head of umpiring Dan Richardson, which basically seemed to me to be saying, yes, the umpire was way too sensitive on this one, and yet uh, nothing's going to change. We're going we're gonna to stick with that. So whatever you do, don't uh, let alone question verbally a decision, don't even put up your arms as if to say, what yeah. was that for? Which, to me, I mean, look, it, it is ridiculous. What do you reckon? Oh, I agree totally. I, I thought the the um, you know the media output from from Dan Richardson was really, as you said, it was it was it was it was straddling both sides of the fence. It was saying that the umpire was a bit too sensitive, um, but they also he also said virtually that Steve Canelio that they were sick of him whinging a lot during the game. There wasn't anything specific as in really bad but accumulation well mm. we don't have accumulation there's no such thing as an accumulation of <laughs> we'll, we will penalize you so um so and then obviously the giant refuted that um uh and then he yeah he, he virtually said the umpire is too sensitive but we're going to support our umpires I, I think where the dissent rules got now it's got a bit bit of gray and which again makes it difficult for the umpires. And we this is going to continue to happen. And the umpires are the ones that are going to cop the criticism. So I think they've got to be a bit more black and white. And I think really and it's and it's obviously more lenient than what it was last year. They've they've come back a bit, which is which is great. But I think a, a player, if he doesn't swear, if he's not being over demonstrative and aggressive towards the umpire and a, a abuse is one, obviously, but you know, that outward um uh, physical, uh, I suppose, I suppose demonstration uh, that he's displeased, putting your arms out and being calm about it, I, I think that should be okay. I think they should be just two or three instances where we're going to pay it, dissent, and then move on. Again, it's a minor thing in the game. I know we want to help the umpires, and I think that's fine. I think that's a great idea. But we don't want to be talking about this every week because it actually impinges on the umpire. So it's actually, uh, I suppose, counterintuitive. We're making a thing to help the umpires, but we're actually making it harder for them because they've been criticised more. Well, it just goes against human nature too, doesn't it? If you look at every any other sport you can think of, if there's a contentious decision made, of course it's human nature to react instinctively. I mean, I, I, I know I wouldn't be able to do it. You and, and some are, Not that other sports should necessarily be a guide, but... Have a look at soccer, for example. You know, a leading international professional sport. Some have a look at why what happens sometimes when a, a referee gives a, a controversial penalty. The players just about assault and mug them, you know, yeah. and that's yeah. sort of deemed okay. And I'm not saying it should be in our sport, but you know, verbally questioning maybe. But you know, when it's just a, 
a sort of shrugging of the shoulders. That is just ridiculous. Yeah, that's right. I put their arms out. And it's interesting with me that if a player's being tackled uh, and the tackler's teammate is next to it and puts his arms out, like, is it holding the ball? That's not being paid against them. But once a decision's been made and you do exactly the same action, that's a free kick for dissent. Well, that's, again, this grey area. I think it just needs to be tidied up. I think we need to protect umpires. I think any abuse or any outward demonstration of uh, uh, the body movement against the umpire, well, fine, pay that. But as you said, there's an emotion in the game and it probably just, I think the players have pulled that right back anyway. I think they've done, I think the rules served its, serving its purpose, but let the emotion saying, well, yeah, I know that, yeah, that's like, like in Cornelio's case, he's asking, how come that free kick wasn't paid? I think that's okay. I think that's okay. I think that's a really good point you make too about the difference before and after the whistle. I mean, you'll see half a dozen players throw their arms up appealing for the free kick. What's yeah. the difference between before the decision's made and after yeah. the decision's made? I, I, so, yeah, look, I, I think we're all as one on that. And to be honest, I, I'd be pretty surprised if privately the AFL haven't spoken to the umpire and said, mate, yeah. Don't, you know, you're Chill being, out a bit. Being a bit of a wallflower there, and um, all they need to do is come up with some sort of more uh, formalised standard of dissent. You know, whether yes. it's 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 uh, using expletives, whether it's you know raising your voice, uh, whether gestures are okay or not, and you know, it's just a common sense thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, last point we're going to uh, talk about today, and this is a You've got a bit of a, a bee in your bonnet about this one. This is good because I hadn't heard anyone mention this, but when you mentioned it to me off air, I thought, yeah, I think you might be right. So uh, explain what you're Yeah, uh, it's, it's not about. a bugbear yet, but I can see it growing. I noticed it a few times last year, Nick Dacos is the best at it. Um, the kicking from full back where you don't have to touch the ball on your boot anymore, you can just go over the line. And I noticed on the weekend, I can't remember the player, and it wasn't mentioned at all by the commentators. And I've only heard it twice mentioned, but I've been looking at it consistently. Is the player with the ball, say Nick Dacos, plays on outside the square, they are running more than 15 metres. So the rule is, if you're in play, you've got to bounce the ball or dispose of the ball before 15 metres. One, Nick Dacos once last year ran 30. And and you can do, and they mentioned on TV, and there was the cut grass on the MCG, so you knew how far he'd gone. So how, and not, how how far is each section of cut grass? I think it's it's fifteen. Right. It okay. I think I think they do that for the umpires for the kicks. Yeah. So that gives them that you know that guide if someone's going sideways. Well, that's so that's a sort of an indicator for the helps the umpires. Yeah. Um, and he ran over thirty meters, and I the umpires just aren't picking it up, so they've got a. Uh, this could become a real bone of contention. So if someone plays on, doesn't bounce the ball, and then hits like a close game, hits a target, a bit like the uh, uh, Penderbury hitting Darcy Moore last year. He didn't play on as such and gave it to Elliot against Essendon. If he, if that was Dacos and he'd gone 30 metres and not a uh, free kick paid against, all hell would break loose. So they've got to, if it's 15 metres around the ground, it's got to be 15 metres. Once you, enter, once you exit the goal square, you've got 15 metres where you have to bounce the ball. It's interesting. I wonder, I wonder if the umpire was admiring the silky skills of Nick Dacos. And just <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other point of that, just uh, I digress a little bit, but that rule change with the kicking was supposed to be encouraging 
um, you know, uh, more flowing attacking football. I don't feel like players have really no. taken that much advantage of it, do you? No, not at all. Um, I think the only advantage is, is and players sprint to get the ball because it's an extra stat for them. It's a stat once they get outside the square. So they all play on and even just to handball it, just so they get a stat. Um, so they, if they kick it from within the square, in the square, it's no stat. But they go outside the square, it's a stat for them. So they, and that's why Brent Harvey would love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but Dacos, I mean, he's getting extra, he's getting extra ten or twelve possessions again yeah. by going outside the square. So I, um, uh, but I think what teams are doing, they're allowing closer to goal that more space. So they push back so they can't get over the top of the, the last player. So I don't think it's uh, helped as in the transition of football, um, but it's uh, it, it probably allows the kicking team to have a bit more space closer to goal. So they're able to hit a target first up. There's no doubt about that. Do you think uh, had this come in in the uh, late seventies or early nineteen eighties, our good friend Terry Wallace might have insisted on taking all the kicking? To get an extra no, he wouldn't have been allowed to. It wasn't a good kick, so he wouldn't have. <laughs> he probably would have been. Probably would have wanted to sprint there, but we wouldn't have allowed him. Good point. Uh, all right, there's our news for this week. Uh, time now to have a look in detail at all nine games in what is a big Easter. Round four. Let's do that. Hey, guys. If you like the Footyology podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney Ede, you'll like the ESPN Footy podcast with myself, Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels, and champion data's Christian Jolly as we break down all the big storylines in the AFL. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round four kicks off at the Gabba in Queensland uh, with, uh, uh, they've had this before on this equivalent occasion, actually. Uh, Good Friday Eve, I guess we call it. Thursday evening, 7.35pm, Brisbane taking on Collingwood. Uh, Brisbane, bit of a disappointing start to the season for the Lions. The Pies, in contrast, absolutely flying. Uh, Three and zip and the talk of the football world. Uh, interesting challenge for the Pies. They have lost their last four against Brisbane after having won nine of the previous ten. Uh, their record at the Gabba isn't great of late either. They've lost their last four at the Gabba. Uh, that includes a final, two against the Wong 2020 semi-final. Uh, Collingwood last won the uh, first three games of a season back in 2011 when uh, they were a terrific side, of course, grand finalists that year. Against the Cats, a uh, bit of a look at personnel and who's in, who's out in a second. But, uh, wow, this shapes is a, a great game, Rocket, and uh, a, a really good test for Brisbane, who, if they drop this one, will be one and three and in a fair bit of trouble. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you my, my selections have been horrible, and I'm going terrible at it, and I've tried to put some logic and science to it, and it's not working. So I think we've got to throw the rule book out the window. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I mean, on form, you've got to pick Collingwood. But as Brisbane showed after round one, there's the bounce back factor. They were terrible last week. Heat's on them again. And at home, uh, they just, uh, you know, they love the black shorts. Do they just play well at home? So um, that's the one you've got to take into account. I think um, obviously Danaher and Cameron and Hipwood are the three who are so up and down and seem to be 
seem to be barometers in how they go. So when they team plays poorly, they play poorly. So I don't know what's come first, if the chicken or the egg there. But Collingwood's form has been terrific. And as mentioned uh, two weeks ago, the biggest concern or my biggest concern was Collingwood was Rucks. Now they've lost two of them and Cameron's been in good form, but Cox is out as well. Now, if that's only for a short amount of time, I think they can cover. But I don't know long term whether that's going to be uh, able to cover against the good side. So that's going to hurt them at some stage. Whether it hurts them this week, I'm not too sure. I was going to say personnel is a massive factor in this game. Now, uh, in contrast, Brisbane faring pretty well in the injury front. Daniel Rich, uh, he's got a test coming up on a quad. Uh, wasn't there last week. Uh, Darcy Gardner, interesting. He's um, he had off-season shoulder surgery, ankle problem a month ago. Uh, now being listed as uh, potential to return, uh, but maybe <laughs> maybe not um, immediately. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. As you mentioned, though, uh, Darcy Cameron, the real issue there, going to be out for up to 10 weeks for the knee injury. Mason Cox, that hematoma. Uh, Lipinski, of course, he's out till uh, the mid-season by, and Jeremy Howe. Um, yeah, the ruck situation, it's it's diabolical, and that, to me, shapes is pretty crucial up against, uh, well, the big boy, Oscar McInerney, for the line. How do you see that panning out? Yeah, well, McInerney was quite good against the Demons uh, the other week. Uh, I know Gorn got injured, but against Grundy. Uh, so uh, he he's a he's an imposing figure. His ability to mark the ball around the ground. And uh, so I don't know what Collingwood are going to have him play. I think they'll be creative. I think McStay's now probably, he's not, a, he's not setting the world on fire, but he has rucked. Um, he has been a ruck for uh, Brisbane in the past. So he'll be one that they can use, but he's, I mean, in the old language, six foot three against guys six foot eight or something. So I think it's a it's a big disadvantage. Who they would use then as their other ruckman, I've got no idea. So they're going to have to be creative. So who's going to be the number one ruckman and take the centre bounces? It's going to be an issue for them. But do they set up around the stoppages for a loss, which is which is a good way to set up. So Penderbury's good. Adams is tough in there. Uh, Dugowie likes to be on the fly, so he's probably got to change his style a bit inside. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that goes. But I think McInerney can have a real influence on this game. Um, and certainly with Neil, um, Ascoff's are starting to play some good footy. Dunk is in good form. So their midfield's okay. Uh, so if McInerney can get on top and, and hit hit them into the right spots, it could be an advantage for Brisbane. Would you go so far as to say with all first-choice Ruckman there, Collingwood, just about has the better centre square set up without them at tips of scales Brisbane's like? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, there's. I think their setups set up at ground level is pretty good. So, and they've got enough players around there. They'll have to change their mindset in there. They won't have to be as attacking. I reckon they'll go man on man. They'll sit on Neil in there. He's very good. If they had their own Ruckman, Cameron, they'd probably back themselves a bit more. But I think with McInerney going to be dominant. And they'll do a lot of homework about where his hit zones are. I reckon McInerney's got to change his hit zones a bit because Collingwood will set up to where he's going to hit the ball. And they'll just make it a bit of a dogfight in there just so there's no clear centre clearances for Brisbane. All right. Uh, tip and margin, please. Well, I'm going against the grain. I'm going against my science and logic. I'm going to go for Brisbane. Um, bounce back factor. Uh I think uh, Brisbane get up in a close one in seven points. 
seven points. Yeah, look, at, I must admit, I'm I'm a big believer in Brisbane at the Gabatois, um, but I think I just think that ruck uh, factor is pretty critical. So I'm going for the Pies, not by a lot though. I'm going for Collingwood by twelve points. Uh, great start to round four over the Easter weekend. Of course, we got games over how many days? Five days. Almost mm. a week of football. Uh, and of course, these days, um, unlike the old days when uh, religious uh, zealots held sway on the uh, Good Friday holiday, these days we have a game, and it's North Melbourne who are an annual fixture in that. And this year, they've got a different opponent again. Let's talk about that game. Good Friday, of course, uh, the Easter um, holiday and uh, the Royal Children's Hospital appeal, regular fixture of that, and this game time at 4.20pm ties in with the Good Friday Hospital appeal. Give that they may grow is the slogan, so uh, please do. It's a very worthy cause. North Melbourne taking on Carlton Friday, 4.20pm at Marvel Stadium. Uh, we've had five of those Good Friday games now, Rockets, and uh, North's record in them is pretty ordinary. Okay, had... So that's been a close one, is it? Uh, well, there was, actually. They lost one of them. I think the second one they lost to the Western Bulldogs by three points. Maybe even the first, actually. I think that was the first one. Um, they've lost to Essendon. They've lost to St Kilda. They got absolutely hammered by over 100 points against the Bulldogs in one of them. So they played the Bulldogs yeah. three times. Uh, the record one four. This one, however, is against Carlton. So how do the how do the Roos fare against the Blues? Well, this is the more encouraging thing. They've won six of their last eight against Carlton, although the Blues have won two of the last three. Uh, the other factor of interest here, I think, in terms of venue, is uh, how do the Blues go at Marvel Stadium, where once upon a time they were pretty ordinary. But uh, they have won six of their last seven games at Marvel, a uh, bit of an indicator of them as an improved side generally, but they definitely play this ground better. Uh, disappointing for the Roos last week, to lo- or disappointing particularly for Alistair Clarkson, losing against his old side. And the Blues, oh, gee, they left it late against GWS, but got over the line. And uh, good signs for them in terms of their capacity to win the close ones now instead of eternally losing them as they did last year. Your initial thoughts on this before we have a look at uh, injuries and personnel? Uh, initial thought is the Blues. Um, I think it's going to depend on... Uh, it, it's certainly going to depend on on the personnel. If if LDU and Simkin are back, Simkin probably back from the suspension, obviously. I mean, two quality players. So Logue is out. Um, but the Blues, you know, they held on pretty well last week. They... Kicked inaccurately for goal. They're terrible at goal. They'd have to be the worst team in the competition. Harry Mackay, that's why I've got the question on him. He's just never confident of kicking a drop punt in front of goal. So is he a good full forward? Probably not. I, I just got, I know he's won a Coleman medal, but guys, he can mark the ball as well as he can and is agile. He's just got to convert. Um, and that's my big concern against him. All the work they do and they, and they do well in the middle. They just don't convert in front of goal. But I still think they'll have too much talent for the Blue. Uh, uh, sorry, for the Roos. I, I just think they'll, they're will they in good form. They've got a bit of confidence up. I think they can win this one. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Uh, just on the Mackay, so it's like the brothers are allergic to each other. They just never play against each other, do they? Uh, ben, <laughs> still a week away for the Roos with a foot injury. So uh, we won't get that meeting of the brothers again. 
you mentioned suspensions and tribunal too. Well, uh, uh, important one for the Roos. They've lost Griffin Logue uh, for a week too, and he's he's been pretty handy in their defence. So he'll miss. Uh, you mentioned Luke Davies Uniac, though. He is expected to come up with a bit of a minor calf injury. Uh, the Blues, I guess the, the encouraging thing for Carlton is that they've still got some really good players to come back. Number least, Sam Walsh, uh, still out with that back injury. Uh, Zach Williams, of course, gone for the whole year uh, and hopeful of having uh, Matt Kennedy and Jack Martin available for this week too. Uh, Owies is going to miss a few weeks on the uh, sidelines after a hamstring. David Cunningham on his way back from a shoulder injury. He made his comeback in the VFL last week. Oh, Blake Aker's another uh, match review officer uh, casualty. He is out until next week too, along with Griffin Logue for the Roos. Um, yeah, look, less than 100% the Blues last week, but I think they probably need wins like that, don't they, where they just grind it out and it's not like a spectacular, pretty sort of win. They really had to grind their way to win, I think. That will do them uh, a fair bit of good, won't it? Yeah, I think so. And the week before, the you know they got challenged at the end by by Geelong when Cameron tried to kick goals and they were able to hold on. Last year they couldn't hold on; they got beaten in close games. So I think two weeks in a row they've showed good form, um, albeit that there's still quite a few areas to improve. But they've got over the line. So as you said, uh, now they've got the win on the board, so it gives them confidence. So they've got areas to work on. Um, so I think uh, I think there'll be cock a hoop. I think they'll be able to get the job done. Uh, this one, I think, they'll be able to win reasonably easily, to be honest. Just a quick one on the Roos. I mean, disappointing against Hawthorne, but uh, after three games, are we seeing potential for a decent sort of improvement this year from last year's train wreck? Um, yeah, well, there's no doubt. Well, they've already improved. <laughs> so they've already won two games. So right. um, I know last week they'd be disappointed, but they had Simpkin and, and Davies Uniac out. out. Who are, so I think they're going to be a side that are going to depend on their top-end players uh, a bit to be, I suppose, competitive. They've got a good balance of the older players. Goldstein did well last week. Uh, Zeebles found a bit of form again uh, off half-back. Um, and they've got Cunnington. So they've got a good blend there, but they're just going to be up and down. Um, I mean, I, I think they've won two so far. If they can win five for the year, I think it's been a, a really marked improvement. So... Um, now, now they'll finish in the bottom four, but it's more about the games they lose that they don't get belted. All right, tip and margin, please. I think Carlton by 21 points. Yeah, I'm going for the Blues by 32 points. That is Good Friday. Uh, big card on Easter Saturday. Let's have a chat about those games. First game on Easter Saturday is 1.45pm Eastern Standard Time. It's at Adelaide Oval and it's between the Crows and Fremantle. And if you're suddenly thinking, I can't recall many games between those two. Well, they haven't been many. They've only played each other six times in the last six seasons, Rocket. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's a, I, I like these sort of oddities when they... It's like the AFL think, you know, this game's not great. Let's not play them that often. <laughs> um, the score in those six games is uh, Fremantle's way 4-2 to the Dockers. Uh, Fremantle and Adelaide Oval have a pretty ordinary record, however. They've only won three games there and lost nine. Uh, last time they played there, and the last time, in fact, they played the Crows was round one last year when they beat Adelaide by a point 
And I do remember that one, actually. There's a spoil on the goal line by... Oh, Chapman. Chapman. Good call, Rocket. Good on the detail. Um, so that was round one last year. Both teams, of course, won two to start the season. Uh, the Dockers just outside the eight in ninth spot and Adelaide. Eleventh. What do you reckon here? Um, I'm going for Adelaide. I think at home, they've showed good form or in patches most games. Last week, they put it together. It was a really good win against Port. I, I think Port, they're not showing, but I think Port have got a really good makings of a good side. Uh, but Adelaide, uh, you know, obviously Rankin played well, so coming up, using him a bit in the midfield, kicking some goals. I, I thought they played some exciting footy. Fremantle, you look at, and if you look at the last quarter, you say, oh, yeah, they're powered away, but but the Eagles had four injured players. So the Eagles were two points down early into the last quarter. So it's it's not a great form line. I, I think there's a lot of improvement left in Frio, whether they can deliver it uh, playing away. But I think on the form line, and if I'm ever in doubt now, I'm going to go with the home side. And I think Adelaide at home has shown some really good signs each week. They've just got to string that consistency and they found a bit of confidence from last week. And I think with the talent they've got in their forward line is really going to stretch, uh, it's going to stretch the Dockers. They're, they're like the little girl with the curler crows. Yeah. They, uh, their good patches are really good. They just can't sort of produce enough of them in games, can they? It's even sort of parts of quarters, not even full quarters. Yeah. Um, bit of personnel news on them. Fogarty showing positive signs in training. Uh, but still unlikely to return this week. And, of course, that leads me to use the pretty clumsy sort of analogy. I think he'll have to be instead looking out his back door. <laughs> Watching the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. They wrote a lot of rain songs, Craig, didn't they? Yeah, they did. The they rain. Great. Have you ever seen the rain? Yeah. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue this theme at another time. Uh, no doubt when we get to the... Oh, no, we've done the calling of game, and I forgot to mention Billy Frampton. Damn. Yeah. We'll fix that up next week. Um, Sam Berry, uh, minor cast complaint, uh, pushing his case for selection. Uh, who else have we got? They're relatively injury-free, the Crows. The Dockers, well, Nat Fife, the big one there, won't return this week as uh, Frio try, quote, a few different things, unquote, to help him through his foot injury. That doesn't sound good, does it? it he's like gone. No, no, he's going to struggle. Yeah, struggle. well, it sounds like they might be on to witch doctors and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a good medical I'm going to say they don't trust the medical profession. We're going to, you, went to we're doctors, going... Uh, you went to your doctor and he said, I'm going to try a few different things. things but I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> uh, Chapman, um, the man who saved the game last year, a moderate calf injury in the derby. Uh, derby, sorry, they get the really derby, dirty yeah. when you say derby. Um, and he'll be out for at least three weeks. Uh, I'm with you on this. Uh, look, I... I've got to say, I was a bit of a sceptic on Freo at the start of this year anyway. I had them limping into the eight, but I, I saw them as being not a contender. The other seven teams in my eight were, and I've seen nothing that convinced me otherwise. They're still impotent up forward relatively. They're still a bit unreliable, uh, still a bit flaky. I've just not seen much encouragement there at all. And Adelaide, in contrast, I, I think, you know, Adelaide's highs, I think, uh, potentially sort of higher than Fremantle's high. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and and at home, I think uh, that's clearly a big factor as well. The home crowd, you know, yeah. smell of yeah. blood in, in the nostrils. I can see them powering away for a good win here. So uh, 
Uh, I'm going to go for the Crows. Sounds like we're both on the same page here. Got a, 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 a margin for us as well. With uh, 15 points for me. 15 points for Rocket for the Crows. Uh, yeah, I'm got, yeah, I'll keep it narrow too. I'm going to go 10 points for Adelaide. Let's move on to the next game on Saturday. Well, it's a pretty appetising clash. Twilight at the MCG on Saturday afternoon, 4.35pm. We have Richmond taking on the Western Bulldogs. Now, previous game, I mentioned how Adelaide haven't played Freo much. Think of Richmond and Western Bulldogs. Does that ring many bells for you, Rocket? No, not really. It's, well, uh, here's it's why. A... Because they have played each other just nine times in the last nine years. You're kidding. No. You think they'd double up, wouldn't you? Especially after the Knights Liberatore time of there's a bit of rivalry and uh, a bit of um, angst between That's the right. two. I, I, I covered that game. And of course, the late great Danny Frawley saying every dog has his day after that, a very <laughs> pointed reference to liver. In fact, nine times in nine years, I believe the first of those clashes, they were actually wearing caps and the wake up jumpers. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> All right, I'm being stupid now. Uh, <laughs> hospital's doing strange things to me. Uh, the score in those last nine games is 5-4 to the Bulldogs. Uh, but they have uh, beaten the Tigers only once in their last five attempts. So uh, both teams, uh, how are they going in a nutshell? How are both these two teams going, Derek? Uh, well, the Bulldogs will get a lot of confidence from last week, but I think they're both... Uh, middle of the table form, to be honest. I think, uh, and it hasn't surprised me with Richmond. I just think they're going to depend really on having their best personnel available and their their better players playing well for them to win. The Dogs have been disappointing. Uh, They had a good gutsy win last week, but it was tight. There wasn't a lot of goals scored. Obviously, they were able to to defend the ground pretty well, put a lot of pressure on... um, on the lines, but they still didn't kick a lot of goals. They still didn't look really threatening. So um, I honestly don't know. I haven't got a, a favourite for this game. To, to me, it'll depend on personnel who's playing. Um, if Martin plays and he's in form, well, could swing it their way. Well, let's talk about personnel before we go any further. Um, potential big ins for the Tigers, as you alluded to there. Dusty, uh, he's had a hamstring injury. Jacob Hopper, knee injury. Uh, they are expected to be available against the Bulldogs, so that makes a big difference for them. However, Jaden Short will probably miss another week. Ivan uh, Soldo, uh, he is now a short-term injury, and Robbie Tarrant has missed him, I think, in defence with a hip injury. He did make his comeback last week in the VFL. Probably, we'd think, would need another one or two to be considered for them. They are the main injuries for Richmond. Uh, for the Doggies, Taylor Duray will be available to face Richmond on Saturday. Uh, illness ruled him out last week, but he's an important running defender for them. Uh, Wayson Vandermeer, fractured weak. He's still weak away. And a big absentee for them with those tall forwards. Who's operating at their feet? Well, uh, that's been a an obvious hole in the setup. And Cody Waitman would obviously help that. He's still one to two weeks away uh, with an adductor complaint that uh, impinged on his pre-season, aiming to be fit for the gather-round, we're told. Uh, Vandermeer, at least, a fortnight away, as we alluded to. Geez, I'm a bit 
50-50 about this one. Uh, a sign of how well my tipping's going, Rocket. These were my predicted grand finalists, Western Bulldogs and Richmond. You wouldn't uh, even be confidently predicting either to make the finals at this stage. MCG, is that a factor? Uh, well, yeah. Minor, minor factor. I think it'll help help Richmond if you're going to help anyone, but it's not a, not a huge factor now because everyone plays there so much, except the interstate teams. Uh, I just, I'm just leaning towards Richmond. I think the monkeys off uh, the Bulldogs uh, back. I don't know if they've haven't proved to me they've got the hunger yet. Um, I think uh, Richmond were undermanned a little bit last week. They will want to be bouncing back from that. Um, so I, I think the Tigers can win. I don't think it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be a close one. But I think Martin and the quality players will get them over the line. Yeah. Okay. Margin. Uh, seven points. All right. I'm, uh, like I said, really is a toss of the coin for me. I'm going to go for the Bulldogs here. Not often I'd tip against Richmond at the MCG, but I've got a, a bit of a hunch about the Bulldogs that once they find a bit of form, they tend to go on with it and uh, certainly found a bit of form last week. So it might be a bit of a, a corner-turning moment for them, and I'm tipping that it may continue. Uh, I think it'll be pretty tight, though, and they do have a history of tight wins over the Doggies. I'm going to go for the Bulldogs to win that one by six points. That is the first game on which we differ so far this round. All right, uh, that is Saturday afternoon and twilight. Let's talk about Saturday evening. Saturday evening at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, 7.30pm, we have St Kilda taking on Gold Coast and uh, St Kilda, one of the unexpected uh, stories of the season thus far, undefeated under Ross Wyan, Mark II. Uh, St Kilda 12-4 against Gold Coast and they have won their last seven against them. Gold Coast's last win against the Saints back in 2016. It's been a really tight contest this one though, historically. Five of those seven St Kilda wins have been by a total margin of just 20 points. Uh, Gold Coast have only beaten St Kilda once at Marvel Stadium, where their record isn't great. They have won just the eight games there, the Suns, and they have lost 23. And uh, they lost there as recently as a fortnight ago against Essendon. When did St Kilda last win their first three games of the season? Well, predictably, Rocket back in the Ross Lyon Mark 1 days back in 2010 when uh, they were of course a uh, bizarre bounce of the football away from a premiership they still have a long injury list which we'll go through in a bit more depth uh, very shortly but uh, hey seeing this one Gold Coast uh, reasonably disappointing start to this season I would have thought yeah they showed some signs last week I think uh you would have thought that the Cats would win that game after losing their first two. So the, uh, Now, the Suns were, were quite good last week and uh, looked quite potent. King's getting better. Um, their midfield was good. Miller's getting back to form. Rao. So they're starting to generate uh, you know, some drive forward. I just think the way St Kilda are playing, I know they've got you know, four or five key players are out. Depends whether Mason Wood plays as well, who's really in good form. Um, if he can get up, I, I, I just think... St Kilda's pressure 
will cause turnover for the Suns. Um, I think uh, teams going up to the Gold Coast make a, mistakes in the when it's greasy ball. Um, I think when it's a dry ball, I know it's going to sound a bit smart, but I think the natural skill comes to the fore and the Suns still haven't, <clears throat> in my mind, still make too many unforced errors. And I think they'll get hurt. And I think with the pressure of St Kilda being able to close them in and defend the ground really well, I um, and they defend turnover really well, I think St Kilda should get up in this game. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I I watched that Gold Coast Essendon game a couple of weeks ago pretty closely, and Essendon certainly upped the ante in the final quarter in terms of physical pressure. And Gold Coast, to be honest, just wilted. Um, as you say, look, pretty encouraging to have a good win over the reigning premier. But at home, running on top of the ground, you know, get a bit of a sniff. It's easy to do that. It's another thing to win away uh, against difficult opponents and. St Kilda, not unexpectedly being coached by Ross Lyon, they uh, consistently are showing themselves to be physically and and uh, structurally a tough side to break down, aren't they? And um, sort of a vindication of, of Ross's essential coaching mantra, isn't it? Some of us, and I'll put my hand up here, have wondered whether uh, the game had sort of moved past his, you know, sort of obsession about defence a bit. But the fundamentals... Uh, and we're not talking about scoring here. We're talking about how uh, teams defend without the footy, man or uh, you know, uh, sort of man to man. And as a system, it works pretty well. The Ross Lyon strategy, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think what he's done, he's still defending the same, and and that's. But he's trying to score on turnover. Well, when he, especially at Fremantle, they weren't trying to score on turnover. They caused a turnover, then they'd be slow with ball in hand. St Kilda now with some speed as in uh, running speed, once they get turnover, they're off to the races. They still play, they play boundary though. They're the low, they're the number 18th team for corridor use. So they're not, they're not taking risks. It looks like they're taking risks because they're moving the ball quickly, but they're using boundary and any under pressure, they'll kick towards a boundary, even prepared to give a deliberate out of bounds. Therefore they can set up defensively uh, behind the ball. So that's why teams are struggling to score against them. Um, teams lapse in concentration or make a mistake, and Kilda can score. But uh, it's a very defensive uh, mindset with the game plan. It's working, but he, but they are trying to score on turnover. It's a good reminder, isn't it, that um, you, know, you can talk about a game style being deficient, but that doesn't necessarily mean you sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. It's often just a tweak here and a tweak Yeah, exactly. There. Exactly, exactly. So, and they've, and they've, you know, their personnel now is coaching effort, as he says, and there's a lot of effort at the moment. They're sticking to their roles, they're playing their plans, everyone's in sync. Um, and at times the opposition get a bit of a run on, but they've, but they're hanging tough at the moment. Some no name players, players we don't know a lot about, are actually contributing pretty well. So, uh, it'd be interesting when these so called players, their injuries come back, who they will replace. Um, Steele would get back in, King would get back in, Memory would get back in. I don't know about the others. Um, so, um, you know, because everyone's playing playing their role and doing well. That's often a difficult one, isn't it? Because the names become available, but they, they sort of upset the rhythm that's created in their absence. Yeah, so yeah. yeah that's that will, right. will be interesting. Uh, still a lengthy injury list for the Saints, 14 on it this week by my count. Uh, they dodged a bullet with Mason Wood, uh, who's been terrific for them. He injured his shoulder against Essendon, but still a chance to come up for this one. Jimmy Webster, he's had a shocking run with injury. He's going to miss more than a month with a fractured cheekbone. Jack Steele, 
uh, at least three weeks away from coming back from a broken collarbone. The big one for them, Max King, uh, he's probably looking at not coming back to the second half of the season. So they've may do pretty well. Uh, what about goal coach Jed Anderson? Four weeks out with a hamstring. Uh, that happened in the VFL, so that's bad for them. Brandon Ellis, they miss his uh, experience and steadiness. Slow comeback from a calf injury, the old man's injury. Uh, Connor Buderick, uh, knee to be confirmed. Sam Flanders, uh, he suffered a medial ligament injury during the win over Geelong, and he's going to miss six weeks. So some concerns for them. Like I said, their record at Marvel, not great and uh, lost there again as recently as a fortnight ago. I can't see any reason why the Saints, having won their first three, are going to drop this one. What's your tip here, Rocket? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, if Wood doesn't play, it puts a, another hole in their team, but they've seemed to cover that pretty well. So Wits is a really good player for the Suns. So Marshall's got a big job there to be able to nullify his influence. They, If the Saints can nullify Wits and Miller's influence around, uh, influence around the ball and maintain their effort with their pressure... I think the Saints can win this and probably win it going away in the end like they did last week. So probably by 19 points. Uh, I'm going for the Saints by the best part of five goals. 28 points for me. Well, the other Saturday night game. Looking forward to this one. Sydney taking on Port Adelaide at the SCG, 7.30pm. Interesting head-to-head stats on these two. Sydney have won, or sorry, Sydney did win 13 out of 14 games against Port Adelaide from 2006 to 2016. The Port has won the last six meetings against the Swans, including two at the SCG. Uh, Their record at the SCG overall isn't that good. They've only won five and lost 12, but like I said, have won their last two there back in 2017-2018. So haven't played there for five years. So there's a bit of each way there in terms of uh, history and the venue. Is that good? Is that bad for the visitors? Uh, let's talk quickly about some injuries here. Both sides, uh, not disastrous injury list. Little change for the Swans. Uh, injured quartet of Hickey, Reed, Fox, Clark. Still a little way away. Uh, Port Adelaide, uh, only two on the official injury list for them. Lockie Jones with a hamstring. He's got a test. And Trent McKenzie, ankle injury, and he's recovering quickly and I think is a chance to play this week. In fact, both of them a chance to play this week. Uh, pretty disappointing week for the Power Rocket, losing that showdown to the Crows. And uh, ditto for the Swans, who... Uh, that was a strange game against Melbourne. I thought they were holding their own there, but they just completely collapsed in the last quarter. And that's becoming a bit of a disturbing trend for the Swans, raising that raising of the white flag when uh, they're looking down the uh, down the barrel. Yeah, because they fought back really well and got within eight points or six points of what it was in that last quarter and they conceded the last six or seven goals. It, uh, they just uh, stopped to a walk, which was, as you said, is unusual for them. Um, um, I think they'll bounce back at home. Um, I think they play that ground really well, as you mentioned before. Port haven't played there a lot. Um, obviously, the... Um, uh, the drums are beating in Adelaide as they normally do. Um, they seem to come from within a bit. You now, Treadray's obviously got a thing against um, uh, Ken because 
he moved him on and didn't like him. So it's a payback and carry the one from Treadray. So, uh, yeah, up up against Kane Corns, who's uh, Ken Hinckley's wingman. And, and yeah, that's right. So <laughs> you've got them against each other. But, unlike, unlike Adelaide, to have sort of small personality-based... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's, I mean, it's only three games in the year. I mean, you shouldn't be calling for the coach to be moved on now. It's a, it's a ridiculous statement. So Ken's a good coach, but I think... If their draw had been a little bit more uh, last week, they should have won. They, they needed to. That's the one that's that's a that you know, it's a coach killer in many ways. Um, I I think uh, Adelaide, uh, sorry, Port Adelaide aren't a very fast team. So Sydney might Sydney Dram might suit them. They get done for speed, and Adelaide beat them for speed last week. Wines struggling a bit, but he's not quick. Uh, they've tried to in, inject some speed over the years with Fantasia, who hasn't really been a good player for them. Uh, Rioli now. Uh, Boke's getting that bit older. That they that's their big that's their biggest issue. They lack a ground speed. So playing at their CG might suit them, but they haven't played there a lot. So I think uh, Sydney on the bounce back. Sydney playing at home, knowing how to play the ground with the crowd. I, I think Sydney will win this one. I think they will as well. Um, they've got a point to prove here, though, haven't they? I mean, we know they're a young side, so perhaps you know they're going to have those ones where they get blown away. And sort of, uh, you know, don't put up the sort of resistance you'd expect. But you know, if you're an aspiring premier, uh, as they obviously are, you've got to be better than that. You can't just sort of, you know, check out mentally and allow yourself to lose by the sort of margin they've lost by those last two times they've played at the MCG. Yeah. No. Exactly. So, um, yeah, there's you now there's certainly some question marks um, on the Swans going forward. Um, and I think everyone acknowledges they probably achieved more than what they should have last year. You know, they pro- probably in hindsight probably should have lost the preliminary final. And then everyone was saying what a great year they had. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think they'll bounce back. I just think that uh, the talent they've got um, playing at home um, and they need to win it. Um, and I'm pretty confident they'll win. Oh, give us a margin on that one. Uh, Swans by 23 points. All right, uh, to get back on the winner's list, uh, uh, I'm of a similar sort of thinking. I'm going to go for Sydney to win that one uh, by 20 points, thus putting a bit more pressure on the power. That would be, what, three losses in a row, wouldn't it, after that good win first up? Gee, been pretty disappointing since then. And... uh, more pressure on Ken Hinckley, and uh, I'd be interested to see how the Corns versus Treadray uh, Stouch goes. Stouch goes, uh, and uh, wouldn't the media feast on that? Did you read, you read more about warring media personalities and the subjects of what they're talking about those days, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, the media reporting on the media. Yeah, ridiculous. Steve, uh, someone who had a Herald Sun column item. Uh, astonishingly written about him last week. I don't know what the hell that was about, but uh, thank you <laughs> for the plug. Um, all right, that's Saturday. Let's talk about the games on Easter Sunday. Marvel Stadium is the venue for the first game on Sunday afternoon, 2.10pm, Essendon taking on GWS. Uh, GWS, uh, narrow losers last week against Carlton. They've got a good record against Essendon. They've won eight and lost six against the Bombers and eight of the last ten. And do you know, Rocket, Essendon are one of only three clubs 
with whom the Giants have a superior win-loss record. The others are Carlton and Gold Coast. Uh, how they go at Marvel Stadium, the Giants? So-so. Uh, they've won 11, they've lost 16 and drawn one. Uh, Essendon at Marvel, their record is pretty reasonable. They've won five of the last six games at Marvel Stadium. Uh, some injuries they have to be concerned about. Giants got a few too, but your initial thoughts on this one? Uh, initial thoughts, I'm a bit of a Giants devotee, as you know. Um, uh, I was a bit disappointed in Essendon last week at the end. I thought they they showed some good signs, got back to being close, had that run of four or five goals, and then, again, just allowed the last, like the Swans, just allowed the last five goals in. Um, I thought it was a, a disappointing effort. I thought they panicked early. The uh, pressure... Uh, yeah, sorry to go back about the St Kilda games. St Kilda start games really well because their pressure is enormous early and teams don't seem to be prepared for it. So their back line last week, Essendon, made a lot of mistakes. They fumbled and got free kicks and 50-metre penalty. Once they settled, they were fine. So they need to start well. Um, I've still got some question marks about their defence. Um, it's, it, uh, it's a bit of a worry for me. Um whether the Giants can capitalise that. They've got Himmelberg and Hogan and you know, they've got some got some talent there, but I, I just don't know whether it's hot, whether it's high level enough to to take uh, complete control. Obviously, Toby Green's the star if he can get away from them. So I just think with Kelly's in really good form, um, Kenilio's had a had a down week last week, but he's he's had a good start to the season. I just think the Giants, and they play well when they run over the deck, I think the new game style will suit Marvel, and I think they can win. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. And um, you mentioned the Essendon defence. It's sort of a a bad indicator that the absence of Brandon Zerk-Thatcher seemed to make such a difference last week. Like, he's a pretty raw, inexperienced player. And yet, so far this season, he's sort of been the glue that's held that defence together. And they really missed him. And uh, they do go a bit sort of funny sometimes, some of those players. Jaden Laverde, I don't know what's happened to his form of late, but he was sort of all over the shop a bit. Jordan Ridley can be a, a little bit up and down. They're just not very dependable, I think. Uh, dependability, uh, that's almost the yeah. word. If you were talking about the differences between these two sides, you'd probably peg the Giants as more dependable, wouldn't you? They'd pick yeah. the top end. <laughs> And I think that's what Brad Scott's going to have to do. It's going to take a couple of years. I mean, everyone internally at Essendon say our list is good, our list is, our list is this, but they've got some real holes in the team. And I think he he will touch, take. it's going to take time to get that dependability, that consistency. Um, they lack a little bit of height in defence as well, which is unfortunate for the Redmonds and Ridleys and these blokes who've got to play above their height. But I, I just think it's going to take time. They'll be up and down. I think they've shown some good signs this year, but I, I just think the Giants can get up this week. Yeah, Mason Redmond, I, I meant to mention him before. He, you know, he's been a fat, wonderful player for Essendon for a few years now, but he had a, arguably one of his poorest games last week. He was just uh, very accident prone. So, yeah. Yeah, and like you, I, I, I was impressed with the Giants and I've been pleasantly surprised this season. I wasn't expecting much from them at all, but, uh, you know, the senior hands are playing well and there's some good signs among some of the younger players too and uh, pretty solid against the Blues who are, who are, a very capable side. So I reckon they can parlay that into a win this week, even at Marvel Stadium. So uh, I'll give you my margin in a minute. Uh, what do you reckon with this one? Uh, I think the Giants by 17 points. I think uh, the Essendon will 
Essendon will show their wares at times, and uh, but I think they think they've got uh, maybe too many guns through the midfield. Tom Green's playing really well, also, so I think uh, the Giants by seventeen. Yeah, I think it's going to be close. GWS have won a, a number of close games against the Bombers. Most of them have been up in Sydney, but I think uh, they can win this one. In fact, the only win Essendon's had over GWS of late was that one where Kyle Hooker took the mark at Marvel Stadium in the dying seconds. That was back in 2019. So they really have struggled against them. Uh, I think this will be tight, but I think the Giants will get over the line here. So I'm going for them by six points, which brings us to the... Second of two games on Easter Sunday later in the afternoon. That is over in Perth. Let's talk about that. Optus Stadium in Perth is the venue for this one. It's 5.20pm on Sunday afternoon. That's Eastern Standard Time, so 3.20pm Perth time. West Coast taking on Melbourne. Now, West Coast have a very good record against the Demons. They've won 13 out of the last 17 games against the Demons. Melbourne, though, have won the last two, as you'd probably expect, given they've won a premiership in the last couple of years, and the Eagles have been pretty ordinary. Uh, an important factor here is the venue, Rocket, because Melbourne like this ground, and they've performed well at it. They've won their last five visits to off the stadium, where their record in total is six wins and just three losses. West Coast, in contrast, You'd expect them to be very, very good at home. Well, they've been pretty ordinary everywhere, and confirmation of that is the fact that they've lost 14 of their last 16 games, even at their home of Optus Stadium. Uh, competitive last week against Fremantle, certainly weren't disgraced, and Melbourne powering home against the Swans. How you see this one going? Well, really, it should be a, a massive win for the Demons. Um, even if they had their injured players playing West Coast, that uh, we know that they're going to be down the, towards the bottom this year, but they lost four players last week. And they're quality players, Shuey, uh, McGovern, um, Sheed went off. I don't know whether he'll be able to play, but uh, you would think and the Demons are getting some players back. I, I just... Really, it's going to be attitude. It's going to be attitudinal. Uh, they went to the Gabba two weeks ago, Melbourne, and just didn't turn up. They were they were shell shocked with the pressure that was in, applied to them. They didn't handle it really well. So, but if they come up with the right with the right mindset, I think uh, they should win this game really easily. And uh, it might be a bit of a massacre, to be honest. Yeah, look, you're right about the um, the casualty toll from that uh, derby. Uh, let's talk about that, Luke Shuey. Uh, minor hamstring injury, but uh, that's definitely at least two, if not three weeks for him. Uh, Jeremy McGovern, boy, that man is uh, accident prone, isn't he? A hamstring for him, uh, serious hamstring too, potentially requiring surgery, they say. The one you didn't mention there, ja uh, Jamie Cripps oh, yes. uh, has to have surgery on a broken ankle. That uh, angle? ankle. That is a shocking loss for them. He's a very important player. Uh, Alex Witherden, another one. He'll be out under the concussion protocols. Uh, Liam Ryan. Um, what did he do? I'm trying to remember. Back injury, I think, for Liam Ryan. So absolute carnage out of the derby for them, and they didn't even win the game out of it. So very damaging. Uh, pity, really, because I think uh, they, they actually held their end up in that game, and had had shown some better form. Uh, 
prior to that as well. And the Demons, well, they're just looking pretty awesome at the moment, even without Max Gorn, who's still about three weeks away. Uh, ben Brown was stubbed off in the third quarter of that win against the Swans with a back injury, but he's been cleared to play this week. Uh, they're the main injuries for them. They're not looking too bad on the injury front, the Demons. They like the venue. They're a much better side. Uh, yeah, it's got that this-could-be-ugly feel about it, hasn't it, this one? Uh, you know, I, might, uh, I might tip a bit of a blowout here. What say you on the margin front? Um, I'm going to the Demons, 55 points. Ooh, that's big. Is that the biggest margin we've tipped this year? Could well be. Yeah. Uh, 55 points for Rocket for Melbourne over West Coast. Yeah, I'm in a similar ballpark. In fact, I might up the ante here. I'm going to go Melbourne by 60 points and an important percentage. Oh, you've increased it. Well done. Yes, yes. I'm a conservative tipster. I'm copying a bit of flack for my tipping, actually, and uh, a bit unfair, I reckon. I've been pretty consistent over the years, but fair to say both of us have got off to an absolute Barry Crocker in 2023, so hopefully that'll improve. So Rocket Melbourne by 55 points. I'm going Melbourne by 60 points. That leaves one game only for round four, and that is another annual Easter favourite. It is Geelong and Hawthorne, Easter Monday. Let's have a chat about that one. 3.20pm Easter Monday sees Geelong taking on Hawthorne. Fantastic modern-day rivalry, of course, uh, uh, that era after, well, including the 2008 Grand Final and for about five, six years after that, they were uh, you just couldn't separate them. Always close games. Uh, but they uh, not quite the same sort of uh, pizzazz about it of recent times, but still pretty decent game. And uh, the Hawks actually upsetting Geelong last year, which in retrospect was a real shock given uh, where both of them finished. And their last eight meetings have been split evenly, 4-4, which might surprise people. Terrible start to this season by Geelong. When was the last time a reigning Premier lost its first three games? Well, you've got to go back to North Melbourne in 1976, who uh, had won the 75 grand final. I can see a smile on Rocket's face. And it's because I was going to say, they made the grand final, though, in 76. Well, I was about to allude to that. They did make the 1976 grand final where they came a cropper against Hawthorne, which included a uh, pasty-faced 18-year-old Tasmanian teenager called Rodney Ede, who starred in that game. No, actually, I think I starred. How I just... did you play in that game, Rocket? Um it was only about your ninth game, wasn't it? It was, was my ninth game, yes. So very lucky. I didn't touch the ball in the first quarter. Right. So you're wondering about because uh, um, I played on Wayne Schimmelbush, which he normally played half forward flank, but Peter Knights generally did the job on him. Um, so they played Shimmer on a wing. So I was more worried about him not getting a kick than me trying to get a kick myself. And then fortunately, they moved Shimmer to try and get him to in another proactive role. And did okay for for a kid, really. Just the last three quarters was was okay. Yeah, I mean, Peter Knights was an absolute star in that game, and I do remember because I was there. Lee Matthews just about killing Barry Cable. Uh, was it? Yeah, it was Barry Cable. He just about knocked him into next week. He didn't get away with anything in yeah. those days. I think you got Keith Grigg as well. So, oh, sorry, I was Keith Grigg. Keith Grigg back in for a mark, and he he hit him. He bumped him. He was back. 
Correct. It's a bit like the Ablett Dipper one. Pat Craig was always getting, remember that famous one, Ray Card down at Dillard? Yeah, Swapper yeah, got him a beauty. Oh, Pat Craig was always copping it. And if he wasn't copping it physically, he was copping a spray from his coach as well. Anyway, I digress, not unusually. Um, all right. Uh, last time the Cats lost their first three games, by the way, and here's a good omen, was 2004 when they recovered to make a preliminary final. And really, 2004 was the first year of their elevation to a consistently high-performing team. So maybe there's an omen in that. But, it's uh, gee, it's been an ordinary start by the Cats Rocket. What, what do you put it down for? Uh, well, we don't really know. Uh, I mean, you don't know unless you're inside the four walls. So, you you, you know, you surmise, is it hunger? That's the first one that comes to the thing. Age, they always, everyone talks about, but they're, but they're old last year. So I think... And then people saying Selwood would lift him, but he was playing off the bench. He missed games last year. So I maybe that's – I think all those things are a little bit – probably the hunger because uh, Dangerfield, slow start, did okay last week. You know, his numbers were good, but it doesn't have the same impact. Hawkins is is struggling because he hasn't had a pre-season. They've probably played him too early. Cameron's uh, looked dangerous. But it's their support players – uh, Myers, Close, um, other players around, um, Atkins, Holmes, yeah. Holmes haven't done a thing. Mm. So everyone last year they went, we spoke about their guns like Smith and uh, Hawkins and Cameron and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But their other players were all playing vital roles and they're getting nothing from them. Stewart came back and did well. Uh, De Canning's now injured, but they, it's like it's a team that's an old team. The hunger's down a little bit. That's that's relying on six or seven players, where before they were probably getting output from fifteen of their twenty-two. That's a good point. And and if if you were talking about hunger being a problem for them, you would have expected that to be an issue more among the senior players who'd been to the mountain top, wouldn't you? Not the young guys yeah, who exactly. were the first taste of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So these, you know, in the past, a, a, a Cam Guthrie has jumped up. Um, they've probably been he didn't play the weekend, but disappointed. A Parfit hasn't grabbed his opportunity. So these players, you know, Cam Guthrie has done that. These other players who've been there three or four years, they've got to elevate their game. They can't just be bit players anymore. So the expectations of them have gone up. And I don't think they're de- or they're certainly not delivering at this stage. And they've got to really grab that mantle and take over from Dangerfield and take over from Cameron. So um I think I think it's an all-round thing that every player's just got to rise probably an extra 10%. Important win for Hawthorne last week against North Melbourne after being absolutely blown away in their first two games. They actually they look pretty good at stages. And, uh, you know, they play an attacking brand under Sam Mitchell. We're not going to die wondering this side, are they? No, they no, and, and, like they did against Sydney on a small ground. They had some turnovers and got uh, smashed by the media about taking too many risks. I think even David King said they're arrogant. Well, I think that's drawn a long bow. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that's now the show's some good science. Like everyone, you now Mitchell and O'Meara have gone. They went 18th for tenor clearances last year. Their first, equal first this year. So far, it's only a small sample. So that's not their issue. That's not their issue of the, the older players going. So it's uh, in other parts of the ground and being consistent. But Will Day's really jumped up in the midfield. He's playing some really good footy. Uh, Mackenzie's been a, a really good find as a, as a young lad as well. So I think they've got the makings of a pretty good side. They'll be up and down and they'll get belted along the way as well. So, um, 
yeah, so I think there's some good signs for the Hooks. So um, I think they've, I think by the end of the year they might only win five or six games, but uh, I think there's some, you know, some positive signs for them. And uh, Mitch Lewis, of course, has been a big absence for them, but uh, getting closer to a return, maybe just a couple of weeks away for him now. So uh, yeah, that's right. Now, I'm, 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 I mean, he's a big loss for me. I mean, everyone spoke about LDU and um, and Simkin out last week, but no, but Lewis was out. Um, so it sort of equals it to a fair degree. So, yeah, I, I think the, the Hawks are doing okay. It's just to be able to – they play an attacking game. It's that entering inside 50 is the, is the money kick and then to be able to convert goals because uh, if they don't, and the ball rebounds, comes back the other way, they're a chance to get scored against. But if they can convert, Geelong generally defend really well. Um, Stuart back is really is going to help them. Um, but uh, if the Hawks can find a way through, it gives themselves a chance to win. So are you game enough to back them, Rocket? Ah, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, no, I, I I think the Cats will be smarting. I think with the with the narrative around and the criticism that it all sparks something in uh, the giant. I think that they'll, they'll bounce back. I think the Hawks will give a good account of themselves for a while. I just think the youngsters will probably fall away in a big game. So give us a margin. Uh, catch by 13. All right. Uh, yeah, it's got that sort of must-win feel about it for the Cats. If they're zipping four, then they really are in trouble, whereas at this stage, I think there's still a chance of getting back in the ball game. So I think I'll get the job done, not necessarily by a lot. I'm going for Geelong by 24 points, uh, which brings us to the end of a massive Easter round. Of course, games spread across days from Thursday to Monday. Always a great occasion, Easter. So uh, enjoy your footy, everyone, whether you're there or whether you're just spending time with your family or whether you're like me, stuck in hospital, <laughs> although... Uh, hoping to get home in the next couple of days. In fact, I forgot at the uh, top of the show, Rocket, to say, um, just uh, in answer to the obvious questions, uh, the biggest surprise out of this for me was uh, I had to have a brain scan and uh, they actually did find something in there, which uh, be kind of a revelation to many people, none the least myself. Oh, gee, I'd heard the rumour that it, they had a brain scan, you actually got a refund. They didn't find anything. Oh, you got, well, you got well, your money back. <laughs> Got that from uh, Big Dipper's joke book, uh, circa 1978, no doubt. Right? Come on, mate, don't get touchy. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's good to still be here. I've got to say, and, and once again, on a serious note, uh, absolute legends, the staff here at the Alfred Hospital. So, uh, thanks for putting up with me, everyone here, and making my uh, my actual uh, ward and, and room here a de facto recording studio. They've gone above and beyond the call here. So, thanks, everyone letting us get this episode out and hopefully back to more ordinary recording environment next week. Uh, happy Easter, everyone. Uh, thanks to you, Rocket, and uh, we'll catch up again next week. Um, all, right. all right, mate. No worries at all. All the best. Hope it's a great round and hope for your health is back to 100% and you're out soon. Thank you. Much appreciated. Uh, we'll see you next week, everyone.